Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast, your source for transformational preaching, uplifting testimonies, and authentic conversations about how we can grow our relationship with Jesus Christ and live out His purpose. In this episode, you'll continue hearing from legendary missionary Martha Burton as she tells her and her husband's story about how they impacted the country of Venezuela with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope is that you will be blessed and inspired to do the will of God in your life as you listen to their story. Okay, I told you that uh, the first city we went to was San Cristobal, and we stayed there probably from 62 to 1964. Uh, we went to Barquisimeto. The reason was San Cristobal is way over on the, on the uh, western side, and Barquisimeto was a whole lot more central. And we were thinking about putting the headquarters in Barquisimeto. As uh, we got there and was looking, there was a, a sister that had been in Colombia and received the message, and she had started um, services in Valera, and then that work closed, and so um, she had started having meetings in her home. She was an elderly person, but uh, there was only a family, one family that was coming, and so we really wanted to get out and get a bigger place, get a, a house, so we were looking at different places. And as we did, um, there was all of a sudden, uh, we were walking in the, in the street. We were looking for a, a, a certain apartment. And this man was sitting on the curb, and we weren't paying a whole lot of attention to it. He started hollering, The word of the Lord has come to Barky Samantha. Hear ye the word of the Lord. The servants of God are here to preach the word of God. And when we looked over, this man was... Oh, he was a mess. He, he uh, had a beard and he had long fingernails and he was just dirty. And I thought, <laughs> and immediately my mind went to the book of Acts 16, I think it is, and uh, where Paul and Luke were, were uh, preaching and this oh, slave woman uh, started yelling after them and course my mind's going like I knew it was several days and I was thinking does it say how many days I'm thinking oh God don't let him follow us please Lord don't let him follow us but he didn't um, later on I did look it up it just said many days and I thought how in the world could they have stood that and finally Paul got aggravated and turned around and rebuked the devil in her and it came out but um so we did know that the that the devil knew we were there. I mean, we they the, the hairs on my arm was standing up. I mean, it just it just penetrated. Then we found out that uh, the church groups there had received letters that the Jesus name people were in town. So we went into the bookstore, and there was two ladies there, and all of a sudden. There was nobody in there. And I thought, well, they must think we got the plague or something. It must be contagious. And uh, all of a sudden, <laughs> I thought we could walk off of the store. They wouldn't know it. But um, then their husband came out. And uh, you could feel the icicles. But we found out they had sent a letter that we were uh, there. And so... Several of the missionaries, and even the Bible Society, we went to the Bible Society, and uh, of course we were just starting, that was a new work then, and uh, he was very, very uh, elegant person, but he was um, trying to make us feel inferior. He was using Spanish in the familiar form, and of course we had just got there, we would be lucky to, to say it in any kind of form. And uh, so 
I, we thought of that later on when the work got to be so big and they begged us to come. And we had our own people that were selling Bibles and, and uh, books and things. But, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what people say. It's what we do for God that counts. Don't ever feel intimidated. You know, the enemy wants us to feel intimidated. And we don't have to because we're really children of God. And he has promised to protect us. And he is for us so we don't have to worry. Uh, during that time we were in Barquisimeto. And I love Barquisimeto. It was one of my favorite cities. That and Los Castores. That was up in the mountains close to Caracas. But anyway, um, while we were there, they decided to send two missionary families. You can imagine, we hadn't been there a long time ourselves, so we got two missionaries coming that need to find apartments, have to find furniture, have to find a teacher to learn in Spanish, have to be their little everything because they can't speak. And so we were, we said to Brother Box, why did you send two missionaries? He said, well, because we didn't know which one would, we could send first. And neither one of them wanted to be the second one. So we had two people, two missionary families to try to deal with during that time. And if you remember, I don't know how many of you were here last week when I told you about my husband having cataracts. He couldn't hardly see to drive. And we was... Doing just started, we had bought the lot in, in Barquisimeto. We were starting the construction. He was having problems seeing. We got two missionary families. We're trying to learn Spanish ourselves. It still had only been a couple of years. We could communicate, but it certainly wasn't the best. Uh, well, during that time, uh, a lot of things happened, but it was funny because one of them was such a talker, and he thought he knew Spanish. So he said to Brother Burton afterwards, he says, I understand Spanish now. I know what was said. He said, said, va, va predicar, hermano, tal, tal, iba predicar. Iba predicar is what was said. He understood it that he was going to buy a pretty car. <laughs> so, that was his translation. What does it really mean? He's going to, he was going to preach. <laughs> Bob Predicott. <laughs> a little bit different, yeah. Um, there was Brother Dross that he was a very famous missionary in Colombia, and he had a problem with Spanish. As bad as his Spanish was, he was a wonderful soul winner, and he had big, big meetings. But he had, a, had cancer, so he had this operation. So he gets up in the big convention in Colombia, in Colombia and says, um, I had 12 inches was he supposed to say of my in big intestine taken out that's what he was supposed to say he said I had and, and, and in Spanish you would say doce pulgadas which is 12 inches but he said doce pulgadas instead of that he said doce pulgas <laughs> and so the Congregation's cracking up, and he's wondering why in the world are they laughing at such, <laughs> such a serious thing. What he said is that he had 12 fleas taken out of his. <laughs> so you can make some really funny, funny mistakes in Spanish. As Sister Thompson, she was from Colombia, and we had a lot of relationship going on between missionaries at that time because. Uh, we were the only missionaries that was in Venezuela at that time. And so um, she was English, and her husband was from Ireland, as I told you before. And uh, she had a hearing problem, so she wore hearing aids. So she was translating for this one, and he said, 
You've got to burn your bridges behind you. And she, she looked at him and he said, you've got to burn your bridges behind you. And she thought he said, you've got to burn your bridges behind you. <laughs> so she said, well, here goes. And she said it. <laughs> yeah, she said it. Did you know Sister Thompson? Oh, she was a car. Anyway, she thought it was hysterical later on. Well, my husband was the one who could make... Was it Lewis that had the son that used to come to church years and years ago? Yeah. He was in my class, and I was really trying to, you know, help him. And I had two years of high school Spanish. So we would sing little songs, and we had fun with that. And then one time, I was really trying... And I think I was, I don't know what I was trying to tell him, but anyway, I ended up saying, see, I was the Boca. <laughs> yeah. Out. Yeah. And I really, as soon as I said it, I realized what I said. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably was what we supposed to. I was trying to, you know, help him to fit in. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Uh Brother Burton, he would do the funny ones. I made a lot of mistakes, but mom, none of mine were so funny. But he would say, uh, uh, he was, his first sermon, he said, and the blind man couldn't see. And he, but he was saying the word for cripple and doing the other motion. And then when he got to the, to the cripple man, he was doing the blind man thing, you know. So <laughs> all these people are cracking up, and he's thinking, Oh, I really got that over, you know. <laughs> uh, we did some funny ones, but he did the worst one was he was preaching about the elephant and how these blind men saw the ears and the trunk and the legs and and so he gets he couldn't he didn't know what the word was for tusk. So the kids told him, you know, the kids always learn Spanish first, so he writes it down on a piece of paper. Well, he gets there, and he couldn't find it. So he says, and Brother Isidro thought he had, to, had a gift of interpretation for us. So Brother Martin said, you know that hard, long, white stuff that comes out of your nose? And so Isidro says, snot. <laughs> Mosca. Oh, my goodness, the kids and myself were going. <laughs> and so the kids weren't speaking to him all the way home on Sunday. And he see what was going on. He knew he had really messed up that time. But I remember the one time I learned a saying real quick. We had just got there. We just got off the boat and was having our first service in Marta Kibble. And Sister Edith said, well, we're going to have to dress in here. I'll watch the door, and you can get your clothes and change. And Okay, I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, here comes the pastor right through. And he says, no tengo ojos. And he's looking right at me. And so I'm, I said to Sister Edith, where were you? And she says, why? What's the matter? I said, he came right in. She, and I said, he said, no tengo ojos. But he was staring right at me. What does that mean? And she says, well, that means I can't see you. And I said, well, he could. So I was crying. I was mad. And then I got tickled and started laughing. So it was that way when we first got there. There was a lot of things going on, a lot of funny things. But uh, I remember Lonnie... uh, we, well, we decided, I decided I'd try to do this dried fish that they have in Venezuela. Well, I didn't know how to do it, so I just thought you fried the stuff, you know. So I didn't know that you're supposed to soak it to get the salt out of it. You soak it in salt water to get the salt water out. So Lonnie, who was probably about 11 or 12 maybe then, came down with what I thought was appendicitis. And, of course, Brother Burton was traveling. So I thought, oh, I'm going to have to take him to a doctor. And I didn't, we hadn't been there that long. I didn't even know a doctor. So I go into this bookstore that didn't want to take care of us. But I was so upset. I went in speaking Spanish, and they thought I was a native. They didn't even know who I was. 
you know, Brother Burton always looked North American. I, I didn't because I was dark to begin with. So they thought I was an, they didn't even know it was me. <laughs> and so they give me the name of the doctor and I went, I went to this doctor and I thought, oh my goodness, I don't, I didn't have any money. I didn't already have any because we always sent the most of the money we had left. Expensive, very expensive to live in Venezuela at that time. So we had some money we were saving for something. I don't know what it was. And I took that with me, which was a bag of change. <laughs> and I thought, if I have to check, <laughs> count this out, I'm going to be more embarrassed than I don't know what. And so he's doing the testing and that. They give him the name of the specialist. And I knew he wasn't supposed to charge much, but I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And so finally he did the test, and he says, no, he doesn't have uh, appendicitis. He says, I don't know what, what the problem is. I think he give us some things to do. But I, I was praying. I thought, oh, God, I have to ask him how much it is. And so I did. And he says, no, no charge. And, oh, thank you, Jesus. Took my little pile of change home with me. Oh, boy. Yeah, and then later on, we did find out when I, I learned one of the missionary families, I asked them, and they said, no, we didn't even recognize you. We thought you were somebody, someone of, of the others. And I thought, well, well, boy, that's good, because I didn't think my Spanish was that good, but maybe I'm like Wilmer. Wilmer's English is very good when he's mad. <laughs> so I think when I was upset, my Spanish was very good. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, we, uh, when we went to Barquisimento, the work was just starting to really have a move of God. And uh, this building that we had rented was, I would say, it was probably 80 people coming out. They were getting the Holy Ghost. And we, we really felt like, I mean, I've never felt so much like the church was really on the move. It was really a spectacular uh, move at that time because... At what that time, when we first went to Barquisimeto, there was, I told you before, we were fasting and praying for a move. And so what do we get? We get somebody asking us to go to Guaranito, and Guaranito gets 30 people baptized, and we're not getting anything but drunks in our service where we have to throw them out, you know. And uh, so we finally had got a move, and I, we came home, and I was really worn out because we'd been praying. I, you know, playing the accordion. I was dead tired, went to sleep, and of course my husband says I sleep like nothing could wake me up, which is probably the truth. Um, I've had bombs go off, and I didn't hear them, but he'll tell me what happened. So he woke up, and... Uh, of course, we, uh, there you don't always have uh, glass in the windows. It was just the bars on the windows of our bedroom faced the um, carport. So the carport, and there was just windows, um, there was bars on the windows. And he said he woke, he woke up because he heard this boom, 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 boom. And what it was was a, a vampire bat was over me. And uh, they do have vampire bats there that usually it's animals like cows and stuff that are sleeping. They will suck the blood out of them. And I didn't know it till uh, I looked. There's 1,300 species of black bats, if you can believe that or not. Uh, but he woke me up right away. He said, wake up, wake up. And actually, I just feel like, you know, the enemy was fighting because he knew that there was a real move of God on in, in that time. Mm. I was so thankful that at least he wasn't in a deep sleep. <laughs> uh, one of us, he was always a light sleeper, so I, he always went to bed early. And I got to bed. I'm, I'm a night owl. So I, I'd had the accordion there and, you know, things and. I, he'd be asleep, and I'd try getting in the bedroom, you know, without making a sound. And later, and he'd wake up. What are you doing? What time is it? Why aren't you in bed? 
So I'd always fall over the accordion or something. So I. Uh, while we were in Barquisimeto, uh, Louis was born. And uh, that was during the time when uh, I told you about, you know, how I had to go early and have the baby. He was seven months old, seven month baby. Well, during that time uh, is when this all happened. Even uh, Louis, uh, Lowell, Lonnie, you know, they're all named with L's. Lonnie, Larry, Lynn, Lowell, Lisa, and Louis. <laughs> I'd never do that again, but I probably won't have the chance anyway. But, uh, yeah, Lonnie had the problem, you know, with that, so... Um, Brother Mota came to Barquisimeto uh, just uh, right before we went to Caracas. And uh, he had been in San, Chris, uh, uh, in San Antonio and started a church, done quite well there. He had then moved there. And then when we left from Barquisimeto to go to Caracas to start the work there, uh, there was a work in Patati, but there was nothing in the central church. And uh, so we was going to go to Caracas. So Brother Mota came to the church in Barquisimeto. When he got there, uh, things were going good. But then they, he, you come to a space sometimes when I told you the Venezuelans always bring new people. And there were people being baptized, but no one was receiving the Holy Ghost. And he become really quite concerned. So we went on a long fast, and I really don't remember how long the fast was. I know it was several days. It was a long, long fast. And uh, so he had, he had been praying, and he, the, the building, the church building, uh, you could go out and go into his house. So he went out. He had been praying, and he left, and he went out of the building, and he looked up and saw the the, there was a fire on the roof. So he hollers to his wife, who was also named Martha. Martha, Martha, bring me the hose. The house, the roof is on fire on the church. So he gets a bucket and he climbs. He said the ladder was already up. I guess they had been doing things uh, with uh, some of the work there, the construction. And when he got up there, it was there wasn't nothing. So he came back down the ladder and he... He thought, oh, my goodness. And he looked back up, and it was on fire. And he said, my goodness. And he takes a bucket of water up again, and when he gets up there, there's nothing going on there. He did this three times, and he said, it was just like, I mean, just a little, their flames were everywhere. And so when he came down, he said, the Lord spoke and said, that's the way the church will be from now on. And, you know, Brother Malta uh, took like eight or ten people from his church and would start another church in another area. He did that in several places, and several works were started that way. You know, you have to be uh, not selfish for yourself, and it takes, it takes away from your income. But that's the way several churches were started. And I'm so glad that uh, we had workers and we had people uh, that was really uh, the ones that made Venezuela grow. And uh, the time we invested in Brother Isidro and Brother Mota was not wasted. I think I told you that before. You know, when you invest in a person, you can be a mentor to somebody. Yes. And sometimes you feel like, is this really going to pay off? But, you know, it did pay off. And God is the one that gives the increase. We're the one that plants. We're the one that waters. But God gives the increase. And we don't have to wait around to see, well, is that going to grow? Or uh, what is the results of that? We're not, shouldn't be concerned with the results. Because all we're doing is planting and watering. God gives the increase. Uh, there was another thing that happened in uh, one of the places called Barinas. And uh, 
Brother Cachillo uh, told, told us this story. Uh, the waters had come up and the rivers were so high and they used the rivers to baptize. A lot of times they didn't have um, a, a tank in the church, in the, especially in the beginning times because it costs money to do. Later on, most of our places did have uh, tanks that they made, you know, or, or they, where they could be baptized. But if this was a country church and it was just starting, so... Uh, they didn't have a place to uh, baptize. So they used the rivers, and the rivers were up. And he told this older brother who had received the Holy Ghost, but he hadn't been baptized. And he kept saying, Brother Cachillo, I need to be baptized. I need to be baptized. He said, I can't baptize you now. The waters are just too high. And so uh, one night he got a call that the older man had passed away. So uh, he felt really bad. He began to, to cry and really pray because he felt he had let the man down. And so uh, he went, and uh, he, uh, I was just out in the country, and by the time he got there, they were, there was a doctor there that was writing out the death certificate. And uh, because in Venezuela, you have to do that. And so... Uh, while he was doing that, and brother, uh, this pastor was praying, this brother came and started breathing again. And, they, and the doctor didn't believe it. He came over and he said, this is a miracle. And um, the older man sat up and he said, I want to be baptized. So they baptized him. And then his family was saying, well, who's going to stay with him? Who's going to take care of him? Because he was really elderly. And uh, he said, no. He said, don't worry about it because I'm not going to live that long. I'm going to die. And he did. He passed away within a couple of days. He passed away again. And, but he had been baptized. And he felt, uh, the pastor felt like his prayers had been answered because he prayed. Because he felt like he had let the man down by telling him to wait. And I know I would feel the same way. I would feel responsible because we teach that you have to be baptized. The Bible teaches you have to be baptized. And so uh, he felt like that was really an answer to his prayer. And the older man did too. You know, he really felt satisfied that God had, uh, he had been able to be baptized. Uh, we did a lot of traveling and... Uh, I was at a place called La Victoria. It's not too far from Caracas. It was a small church then. I was playing the accordion, and the, and the church was very small. It wasn't much bigger than this, probably not even to the back of that room there. It was probably maybe 40 people. Um, I don't think you could get more than 40 or 50 people there. So I was fairly close, and I was playing. I usually played the accordion and sang with my eyes closed. So I opened my eyes, and I, I lost my breath. Because there, um, sometimes the mentally, um, there's not institution for many, mental people or people that are deformed. This young man was very deformed. Uh, in Bible school, we studied the situation, and they have a name for it, which I don't remember, but his legs was up here over his head. And I had opened my eyes, and he wasn't there when I closed my when I first closed my eyes. So it was such a shock that I was, I was trying to get my breath, because I, it just, it was something that you just couldn't comprehend. And I, and I thought, oh, my God. But you just never knew what you were going to face because there, a lot of times, anybody that was uh, mentally challenged, uh, they would tease. They would throw rocks at. And we're talking about 1962, in the 1960s. And even when we done our Bible school there, there was a man that was, he was not real bad, but he wasn't real good either. 
So they would throw rocks at him until he got mad, and then they would call the police on him. So that was one thing, you know, that would just really move my indignation um, to the place where I, I just sometimes would almost lose it. But those were situations you just had to deal with, you know. It's just life. And uh, life was not always easy at that time. There was a, one thing that I really did enjoy almost better than Christmas was our conventions. And uh, it was something I looked forward to because there were so many that got the Holy Ghost during that time. And um, I know we were, before we had the uh, one place where, where we went there for so long in Berkey Smith, though this was before then, uh, we would go to different uh, gymnasiums and different cities. And we were at one, uh, that, um, oh, I guess would seat maybe about three or 4,000, and it was full. That was when we first started, our convention started growing. And uh, I was treasurer at that time, so they had taken up the offering, and they had given me the offering. And, you know, the teenagers are the ones that always know what's going on. So they come up and they say, there's some men, and they're watching you. I, you know, I just put it in my first year and walked out. And so when you get in the crowds, it's easy to be robbed. So Brother uh, Lehman, I don't know if any of you know Brother Lehman. He was about six foot seven or eight. Big guy, you know. So I said, so when we let him know, you know, and then my husband's over six foot one. And then, you know, I had about three or four... Uh, bodyguards taking me out. I felt really special. <laughs> but later on, we were in we were in Barky Smetho, and this is a, a dome that holds about thirty thousand, and usually it was full. And um, so again, somebody saw that somebody had danced right up on the platform. It was just like they were shouting, and all of a sudden. When I'm says to my son, Lonnie says, was the offering in a brown bag? He said, yeah. Well, that guy just walked off with it. He just shouted right off the platform. <laughs> so, of course, by the time he got off the platform, he starts running. So Lonnie starts out running out. <laughs> they, they finally got it back, but uh, it was quite a struggle. And if we didn't have these teenage kids that aren't praying all the time. My husband used to pray with his eyes open. I used to say, how can you do that? Because I always had to pray with my eyes closed. He said, you have to pray with your eyes open sometimes. <laughs> oh, goodness. But another thing that happened in one of our conventions, and this was really great, how many know Brother Kilgore? Have you ever heard of Brother Kilgore from... Um, Houston, Texas, and Brother Kershaw, both very well-known preachers, and they were at one of our conferences. And Brother Kilgore had been preaching on the tabernacle and the glory cloud that had come down. And he said he'd always wanted to see what that would be like. And we were, I think it was Coloncito we were at that year, and um, I remember the move of God because Brother Kershaw was preaching and Brother Lonnie was interpreting and people started, started running to the altar. And Brother Kershaw said to Brother Lonnie, I'm not through. And Brother Lonnie says, I think you are. <laughs> and I, he didn't know it. And I remember just feeling the glory of God and I thought, why do I pray with my eyes shut? Brother Kilgore said he looked up and saw the glory cloud over the congregation. And I thought, well, I felt it. You know, and, and, and like the Bible said, it was so strong that they couldn't minister. And that's what happened to Brother Kershaw. And he was saying, no, I, I'm not done. And Lonnie said, no, you are done. And the people were just everywhere praying. And it was just... Just that spirit, you know. I mean, I remember feeling, oh, my God, I feel like I'm in heaven. 
And, uh, but I thought, why didn't I see? Why didn't I open my eyes? I was just in the, you know, the clouds, literally, <laughs> the other clouds. But, you know, those are some of the things that happen that just makes you really thankful yeah. that, you know, we answered the call. Yeah. There was a, another time was our retreats. Um, and usually re- retreats were done during the Holy Week, which is uh, Easter, Easter uh, weekends. And we usually went for several days. So they slept in tents and cooked out and carried their water, usually tried to be close to the water. And, of course, then you have to put up with the snakes and the bugs and all that nice stuff, you know. Um, that's when I remember them saying there were snakes up in the trees. And so I was having trouble trying to sleep in the tent, I believe. But those times were good, you know, just to see people being able to be baptized. Uh, one of the retreats was when um, this woman for Bonarinas, they had asked her, she was a judge. Uh, she grew up with uh, one of our presidents of Venezuela, which was Carlos Andres Perez. And uh, she knew him well because they had grown, grown up in the same area. Well, they had asked her, this judge, to go to the retreat. And um, she said, well, I might. She said, but, you know, I've really been concerned. She had a daughter she hadn't heard from for nine or ten years. And this person, I don't remember, I think it was the, the pastor and his wife, because she had married him. She said, well, you need to go, because we ask for prayer for different things at these retreats. So they finally talked her into going, and she was really touched by, by the sermons we preached during that time, and people would seek for the Holy Ghost during these retreats. And um, so she really accepted the Lord there. She really felt, and she had tur- turned in this petition that she wanted to hear from her daughter. And so when she got home, uh, her sister came out and said, aha, uh-huh. Now you're going to be sorry you went to that retreat because your daughter called and you weren't here. And she said, that did it for her. This judge went in and started throwing out all the uh, uh, idols that they had. They had some in the house that, you know, they believed in. And uh, so her daughter did come in, and uh, that judge was baptized, had the Holy Ghost, did a lot of good things for us in Barinas because of her connection as being a judge. So the work grew, and, and by several of the helps that we got from people, she helped us get uh, materials, things like that. I mentioned that the, that the, uh, the rats were so big, they were bigger than cats, and they would have 10 roofs there. And the roof and the... Where, well, where the wall of your house came was there about that much room in between. So those rats could get in, and they, but some, they could go out on the roof and come in on, in your house. And so you could hear them running on the roof sometimes, you know. And then you'd hear the cats bounce on the top of them. And it would wake you up during the... Uh, that's where our, the first house was where we started in Barky Sumato. I remember so many times waking up during the night and hearing those rats. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, we were living in San Cristobal when there, my husband was walking on the outside of the house, and we kept smelling something. We didn't know where it was coming from. And all of a sudden, he saw a tail hanging down. And so he gives it a pull, and the, the whole skin comes right off because the rat was baked up in there in between the towels. But the rats were huge. I'm not kidding you. They were huge. And when we went to Barky Samantha, we didn't get rid of the rats. They were still there. And we had a cat, but the cat was very small. (laughs) And uh, it got, we had one in the house. And and the boys got, it was in their room. So they had a broom and they would cry and kill it, you know. And so one of the rat runs up on Lynn's back, and Lynn said, 
we had a time. My husband broke my dining room chair. We hadn't had the thing a, even a couple months when he jumped up on the chair to get away from the rats and broke the chair. I never forgive him for that one. He said he wasn't as scared of snakes, but he was as scared of rats, and that was the truth. I think I told you, did I tell you about the time I was sleeping and I heard something? And it was making a noise, you know, and I thought, oh my goodness, somebody's going to rob us. And it kept, oh my goodness. And, and I did want to wake him up because he has trouble going back to sleep, you know. So I got my hand on his hand and, and the noise is getting worse and worse. And all of a sudden, I holler, here they come! <laughs> he jumped straight up. And what it was is the rats had come over the tree and down in between the screen and come in the house. So we're on top of the bed and getting our shoes and throwing shoes at the rats on the floor. And then he'd get down while I had my shoes and throw at him and then he'd get some shoes. Oh, I'm telling you, we had a time. We had a time with those rats. And then we got a, it looked so cute. It was called Mona de Noche. Uh, it's a monkey of the night. Well, what happened is the cute little thing he jumps all night long. What was it? It's a monkey. Oh, it was a monkey. It's a monkey. There's a little, but they're called monkey of the night. They, they don't know a trick. And that thing, all night long, all night long, was just running and jumping and running and jumping. Well, we got rid of it in a hurry. <laughs> we had some dillies of gifts. We had parrots. Uh, they're very nice to look at, but they can be little stinkers, too. I would do my wash, and it would, it would crawl out onto the line from the window where it stayed at, in the daytime. At nighttime, I'd go out and take all the pins, and not only eat the pins, but let the pins drop, and so your clothes is on the ground again. And, uh, and then he got into the neighbor's yard and was eating her flowers, so... And, and they are very smart, though, and they could imitate any kind of noise. So our kids love to play baseball. So they, you know, we're always uh, saying home run, strike one, strike two, you know. So we had visitors that come from the States, and they were sleeping upstairs. We were living in Los Castores then. And uh, so when they came down, one said... Where in the world is all that noise coming from? I said, well, that was a parrot. He said, if I'd have known that was a parrot and not your kids, I'd have come down here and slit its throat. <laughs> yeah, they, they sound just like a person. Oh, and uh, we had some, I was keeping somebody's little baby, and uh, it was upstairs asleep, and I came back down. All the bedrooms were upstairs, and our uh, living room, dining room, and kitchen were downstairs. So I'd hear this cry, and I'd run back up the stairs, and the baby was asleep. I came back down. And I'd hear it crying again, and I'd go back up. It's that crazy parrot. <laughs> he could cry just like that baby. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they are good at it. Brother Mota had one, and his, his wife was named Martha. It would say, Amara Martha. Hermana Marta. And of course, the saints would come in and say, Hermana Marta, Hermana Marta, ¿dónde estás? And so I'm there visiting, and they kept saying, Hermana Marta, Hermana Marta. And I kept saying, Yeah. It's a crazy parrot. But um, as I was telling you, we had these new missionaries, and we, they were out in the jungle, Brother uh, Azarisi. Uh, you know, when you're out in the country, you have to use the bathroom just wherever. And so he's got his little roll of toilet paper, and he goes out to the boondocks, you know, and all of a sudden he sees this big lizard, you know, and it's got these big things on its back. I don't know what you call those. They look like diamond things. I mean, they're huge. <laughs> he takes one look up, and he says, I don't think I got to go. <laughs> 
We never let him live that one down. But then, brother, uh, the other missionary, my husband, was, was really not very nice that time. They served. Uh, he could drink it because he wasn't that picky. But the other missionary, you know, wasn't used to the drinks. So they had one that's beet juice. And well, I, I beet juice and carrot juice, I think. But this was just beet juice. That's all they had. Which I don't think it's a bad drink. I could drink it. But this missionary couldn't. And he just barely got it down. But he was doing his best to get it down. And so the woman comes to the door and my husband says, Oh, he really liked that. Do you have any more? <laughs> when she left to get it, he says, I'll get even with you. So, you know, you make your own fun sometimes. Uh, another, I think we'll close with this one, but um, one of the most precious times I remember was we were having foot washing in, um, with the pastors. The men were having theirs, and the, the uh, pastors' wives were having theirs apart. And uh, we were really feeling the presence of the Lord, and it was such a sweet spirit came down. But I've never seen this ever. I've never heard of it ever happening anywhere again. But it's one of those memories I, I really hold dear. Uh, Sister Maria started singing, and she was singing in, in tongues. It was so beautiful. It, was, it sounded like Arabic to me, but it was such a sweet spirit, and it was just like we were all transfixed. I mean, we were just, just in awe. We were just like we were in a... In, in, and we weren't able to move. I and mean, she was just, I mean, her face was just lit up and she was singing this beautiful, beautiful song. I don't know, I have no idea what the words were, but I have never forgotten that. It's never, never seen anything quite like it again. But you know, I thought, God is so special to let us sometimes have these times, you know, and if we would only dedicate ourselves and let ourselves get that carried away in the spirit, what God couldn't do with us. And that's my desire. I want to walk so close to God that I can have that kind of communications. I've seen things and things have happened in Venezuela that I'll never forget. And I just hope, you know, it's been 20 years since we've even came back from Uruguay. And I think, uh, oh God, some of the things that's happened, when I think back on them, I, I feel God has been so special to bless me, to be able to be part of this. And I never want to close down these things that God can do in our lives. God wants to do special things with us, but we have to be in special places to receive them. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to shut God out. I want to be just always conscious of his presence. Let's just uh, uh, meditate. You know, I, w I, I think we'll just sing a song. I don't know. Uh, maybe you know this song in English. I'll sing it in English first. If I can think it, I can think it more in Spanish. I'll start in Spanish. Mana Vioso es. Mana Vioso es. Cuando pienso. No, that's not the one I was thinking of. Oh, sweet wonder. Oh, sweet wonder. Jesus, the Son of God. Oh, how I love him. Oh, how I adore him. Jesus, the Son of God, O Manabia, Gran Manabia, Cristo, mi Salvador, yo te adoro, yo si amo. 
Cristo, mi Salvador. Oh, sweet wonder. Oh, sweet wonder. Jesus, the Son of God. Oh, how I love him. How I adore him, Jesus, the Son of God. Isn't it wonderful just to know him? Just to be able to let him flood our soul sometimes. I know, I just sometimes, just to be alone, I sing when I'm praying or uh, songs will come to my mind and some of them in Spanish, some of them in English. And I'm just so thankful that I know the Lord. I want to be uh, ready when he calls me. I'm just so glad. You know, a lot of times we had to change the words. Um, we learned one song. Uh, Brother Ellis mentioned it the other day. And I had to laugh because to fit the Spanish words in you, I had to change the rhythm of the song. So it was, um, well, let me see if I can think of it. So it's about when I wake up in the morning or I lay my head to rest. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed. Every day that I live, I am blessed. When I wake up in the morning, or I lay my head to rest, I am blessed, I am blessed. Here's the Spanish version. Bendecido soy, bendecido soy, cada día que yo vivo bendecido soy. A despertar en la mañana o costarme anochecer. Bendecido soy, bendecido soy. They tried the slow version and it just didn't work for them. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. We pray that this episode was a great blessing to your life and inspires you to live out the will of God at any cost. You can find out more information about the Calvary Church at the calvarychurch.com. We hope to see you soon. God bless.